Anybody can be a change maker. It's really remarkable when you see the power of the individual, the impact that an individual can make on the planet, in their community, and you can be a change maker that uplifts you, uplifts people around you, and builds a better society, a better community. That's Dax De Silva, founder and CEO of Lightspeed, a commerce company approaching a $10 billion market cap. Dax is an absolute legend, having led Lightspeed through two successful IPOs on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange. Along with Shopify, Dax has redefined what success looks like for Canadian tech companies. Dax also leads with purpose and intent. He was named Innovator of the Year by the Globe and Mail. He's the founder of Never Apart, a nonprofit art space, and is the author of Age of Union, a book that serves as a guide for igniting today's changemaker. In this episode, Dax shares his wisdom on what it takes to be a changemaker and the small acts of union that individuals can take to help build a better society, a better community, and be better stewards of our planet. This is Daniel Sachs, co-CEO of AppDirect, and it's time to decode the changemaker mentality. Welcome to Decoding Digital, a podcast for innovators looking to thrive in the digital economy. I'm your host, Daniel Sachs, and I'll sit down with other founders, CEOs, and changemakers to decode the trends that are transforming the way we work. Let's decode. Dax, so amazing to reconnect as always. Obviously, you've been doing incredible things, and it's been amazing to watch you from afar seeing the impact that Lightspeed's had this year and the success on the public markets, but also the impact with your book is just truly inspiring. So really great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Dan. Certainly. So this year was really a tipping point for the commerce industry and for Lightspeed. But can you tell our viewers a little bit about what Lightspeed does and how it's helping businesses in the digital economy? Yeah, so Lightspeed is focused on building cloud platforms that help small and medium-sized businesses you know, run their operations, do transactions with their customers, and ultimately grow. We focus on the complex segment of retail, hospitality, and golf. So those businesses that have deeper operations, and therefore we go much deeper in terms of the tooling that we offer them. You know, we're kind of like an operating system for these businesses. And there's about more than 100,000 businesses around the world that are on our platforms. That's incredible. And This year, obviously, you've had a ton of success on the public markets and doing a lot of acquisitions. What does it feel like to be leading such an inspirational and highly publicized company? Yeah, it's interesting because we went public in Toronto uh, last year. And that's been, I think, a really great graduation for Lightspeed in terms of just going to the next level in how we operate. But going public in New York, dual listing in, in the New York Stock Exchange in the midst of the pandemic was, I think, an interesting moment for the company. Obviously, we're helping businesses really pivot. You know, we Our offering helps businesses bridge between physical and digital. Our tools are used very heavily to manage the operations of a physical restaurant or a physical store. But we've given them a full set of omni-channel tools to be able to pivot to digital channels. So what, was, what we thought was going to unfold over the course of three to five years has happened rapidly over the course of months. And that was a message that was well-received as we went public in New York. And so this is really a moment to double down on really making sure that these businesses move off legacy and onto systems like Lightspeed. 
So what's an example of a business that you're helping? And can you tell me about what they're doing with you? Yeah. So if there's a business that's in retail and had been very focused on selling in store, you know, now they're selling on e-commerce, they're doing things like curbside pickup, they're using channels, they're using our loyalty channel to market and build relationships with customers so that they're top of mind, so that customers are caring about their favorite local stores as opposed to potentially ordering off Amazon. If they're a hospitality business or if they're a golf business, they're transitioning to new models of working with their customers. You know, it could be an order ahead app that lets customers order digitally and pick up from the store. It could be delivery. It could be even, you know, offering uh, different merchandise from the restaurant on our e-com for restaurant tool that we just released. So it's a, you know, we're blending together a lot of the capabilities. We built e-com for our retail customers, but now it's just as important for our restaurant customers. So it's providing lots of room for businesses to adapt and actually get creative. And the way that they mix and match and blend our tools to create unique business models for themselves that are differentiated and exciting for the modern consumer and a consumer that's transitioning in this period also and in terms of their habits, that's ultra important. And we've really seen the resilience of businesses when given the current circumstances, businesses have gotten really creative and we've seen some amazing transformations. Incredible. In your book, Age of Union, you start by telling a really personal and authentic story about yourself and how you got to where you were. I found it super inspiring and helpful. Do you want to give just a brief summary to the viewers? Yeah, so Age of Union, it's um, the subtitle is Igniting the Changemaker. And that really kind of summarizes what the book's about. It's a guidebook for changemakers. And that could be an entrepreneur like you and me. could also be somebody that's starting a project for social good. You know, I started a cultural center called Never Apart and wrote a manifesto for that. And Age of Union is actually the book version of that manifesto. And so anybody can be a change maker. It's really remarkable when you see the power of the individual, the impact that an individual can make on the planet, in their community. And so this is the age of the selfie. There's two ways you can go with all this individual power. It can be turned inwards or it can be turned outwards. You know, And so there's that power of the individual that can be captured for the greater good. And you can be a change maker that uplifts you, uplifts people around you and builds like a better society, a better community, and hopefully we work towards better stewardship of the planet. That's really what the book's about. And there's four pillars that are kind of in this toolkit for the change maker. And those pillars are things that I feel should be thought about together and not in boxes. And those are leadership, culture, spirituality, and nature. For me personally, those are the four things that are pillars for me. And I felt like that was something that I should share with people so that I can actually talk about those in a cohesive and comprehensive way, as opposed to having a discussion about leadership or the environment that's separated from something like spirituality or culture, when really, you know, those are all the elements that need to come together in order for us to think about what we want for tomorrow. So tell us about your journey and where you grew up and how you came to starting Lightspeed and then ultimately writing Age of Union. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Born in Vancouver, and uh, my parents are immigrants from Africa, but I was born in Vancouver and made the move to Montreal in my mid 20s. Loved the culture and energy in the city. And, you know, I'd done software programming on the Mac since I was 13. But in university, I did study religion and art. And you see that in later projects in my life, like Never Apart, uh, the Cultural Center, and like Age of Union, you see sort of the influence of those studies. But I was, you know, for the most part, a designer slash software designer and with a real um, love for design, you know, visual design. And that's what the first versions of Lightspeed were. I started Lightspeed in 2005, and I built the original software after doing many consulting projects and lots of custom software projects for different companies, some of which were retail, realized that there was nothing on the Mac 
that could really run a complex business. And more and more businesses were asking me to build those kinds of custom solutions. And this is around the time when Apple was really having its major renaissance and major comeback. There was a real gap in the market for real business tools. And so Lightspeed really took off from the very beginning. The first seven years, we really bootstrapped the company, no outside investment, and we built to about 50 people, and about 10 million in revenue, just on our own sales. And, and from the initial two years of coding till four in the morning, and really crafting the experience of the software from a visual and a UX perspective, it really, really sold itself. And we had resellers all over the world selling it that became a part of our bigger family. And that was sort of the early days of the company and, uh, and look really fondly back on those days. Then along came the VCs and uh, supercharged the company, you know, and that was a great period too. So the next seven years was, you know, backing of Excel partners and Inovia and Castepo and Investisma Quebec, a lot of Silicon Valley money and Canadian investors. And that's where we really, you know, went into the cloud and we still serving the same customers, still serving that complex SMB customer, but now doing that in the cloud because we knew that physical and digital were going to meet. They were going to collide and, and businesses that couldn't combine the two were going to be competitive. So that's what the investors helped us kind of evolve into. And then, you know, this last phase since 2019 is now our public company phase. And I think it's been an amazing journey. You know, we celebrated 15 years in March, just as the pandemic was setting in, actually. But this year, especially with the pandemic, really shows the importance of what we can do for these businesses and really shows that it is an important mission. And it does allow these businesses to thrive through any circumstance. Definitely. Well, congrats on the growth. It's been truly impressive. You talked about the collision of physical and digital and really how that's become even more pronounced in the pandemic. How do people who are living in the physical world or the on-premise world make that transition? And what are some of the biggest hurdles that they go through? Yeah, you know, what we've learned is, you know, you can offer digital tools and what businesses will do with them is up to their own creativity. You know, how they implement delivery, how they implement contactless experiences, you know, how they leverage analytics, uh, how they do, you know, kind of pop-up environments or leverage physical. What we've learned is we can put out tools, but we'll always be surprised by the ways that businesses run with it. And that's, I think, the excitement and vitality of local business and small businesses. They add the flavor and color and excitement to our communities. And so the mission of the company is really to make sure that those businesses are on a level playing field technology-wise. So that's ultra important to us. When you talk about the change maker, you know, we talk a lot about the digital hero. And one of the things that we recognized is that every transformation stemmed down to someone who had the courage, the tenacity, the vision to make meaningful change in the world. And when I read Age of Union, I discovered more about your concept of the change maker. I really see that living true. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I liked about your pillars is that what we found is that when it came down to an individual, it wasn't necessarily about where they studied or where they came from or what role they're in or what level in the organization. The people who made the most change are ones that were driven by passion and had a sense of characteristics and had a sense of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yes, would love to get your perspective on how do you assess these people who have the potential to be ignited and to become these change makers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what advice do you give to them? So, um, so you, you earlier asked a question about sort of like the, my trajectory and how I got to Neverpart and Adrian. So I'll kind of complete that story and answer the question. After 10 years of Lightspeed, I felt really burnt out. You know, it was just this crazy ride. And we just moved into our new offices at Garviger, which is a 120-year-old historical building that was abandoned. And so that kind of gave me a bit of a boost. But I also had the old office. 
The old office was the last piece of real estate that we were able to buy just before we took investors. It was a warehouse that was converted by a film producer into you know this beautiful space. It was half his home, half his production company with an outdoor pool. And I decided, you know what? We're going to do a cultural center with this space. And that became Never Apart. And so at first, we're not sure if this was going to be an LGBTQ youth center or what it was going to be. But what we ended up doing is the initial team is realizing that art and culture are things that can unite people across lots of different spheres. And you can have social dialogue that's powered by art and culture. So we started doing exhibitions and talks and so on. And now five years later, it's, you know, it's this real force for good. But what I realized in that project is... A lot of the conversations that I was having with these emerging artists and people that were on the leading edge of social dialogue and cultural change and all the things that social justice, there's a lot of similarities between those folks and the entrepreneurs that I was mentoring that were doing startups and also the entrepreneurs that were opening retail and hospitality businesses that were serving at Lightspeed. I'm like, there's a change maker strand across all of these people that are making an impact for their community, making an impact for something that's bigger, you know? Yes, they're building something that's their own foundation uh, and their own project or their own art, but a lot of them had this desire to contribute and to give back and to grow something that was going to benefit their neighborhood or benefit the planet or benefit a marginalized people. And so that's when I realized that my projects weren't so different. You know, the light speed and never apart shared the fact that we are behind those change. We are, you know, we, we try to uplift and celebrate those change makers and, and give them tools where we can. And so that was the connection for me. And so that I think that anybody actually can be a change maker. It's a mindset. You know, it, I think that one of the main points of the book is that there is no act too small. I have at the end of the book, 40 acts of union. You know, there's 40 things that you can do for the greater good, but you don't rank them. You know, they're kind of modeled after the Jewish idea of the mitzvah. And there's 613 mitzvahs in Judaism, and none of them are ranked. They're not ranked big or small or more worthy or less worthy. And so those daily acts that you can do with intention, that gets you on the path of being the change maker. And you work up to things that impact more and more people. But it's a mindset. It's a mindset of doing something with an intention that's beyond your own personal benefit. But sometimes it is you know, to benefit you so that you can nourish your own soul and then therefore be better for other people. And then you start to do acts that start to benefit your city, your community, and then ultimately you know, uh, others everywhere, if you can. What are some examples of your 40 mitzvahs that you're discussing? You know, it could be as simple as something like preparing a meal for your loved ones, you know, cooking at home. It could be as something as far-ranging as, you know, supporting conservation projects, doing things for yourself, like prayer and meditation it can be things like lending your support to community groups. You know, there are things that you can do that lead you in that path. And actually, a lot of these actions really are their own reward. You eat a vegan meal, maybe you're not fully vegan, but you did something with intention. You decided to do something because you thought about it. And that's the issue, I think, that a lot of us and I myself have realized is we do a lot of stuff on autopilot. And I think that actually COVID has been an interesting time to realize that when you take yourself out of your regular routine, you realize how many things you did on autopilot. And if we stop doing so many things without thought and we start putting thought into the things we do, maybe we do different things and maybe we'd be more intentional. And when things are more intentional, then uh, then that means that uh, they're more meaningful and that they have more purpose. And so in an era where it's really easy to get lost or feel lost, it's you can have meaning and purpose all day long by having uh, actions that are fueled with intention. And that's sort of the idea is that when you start to do acts of union, you start to do these uh, these these intentional actions, they fill you with a day of purpose. 
It can be everything as small as choosing what you eat or how the packaging that you use throughout your day or the how you transport yourself around town. Or it could be the things that you share on social media or the things that you read and the activities that you plan for the people around you. You know, it's a different mindset, as I said, but it's a journey and I can't prescribe anybody's journey to them. You know, it's your own discovery. And that's what's fun about being a change maker. You're never going to find two change makers that have the same path. It strikes me that you're a very authentic person and that manifests in everything that you've done. And it's really incredible to see the interplay of Never Part, Age of Union, Lightspeed, and the meaning behind all those areas. But speaking to intention, like if you went back 15 years and said, did you have this vision written down on a, on a kind of map or did it happen more organically to get you to where you are now? Well, no, there was no master plan. One thing that I like to tell people that are younger, just starting their career, is that there are seasons and there are things that will build on each other. You know, I feel like there's many young people in their 20s that want to make very deep impact right off the bat. And that's a good thing. And that's something that you should keep thinking about and think about what your impact ultimately will be. But that doesn't mean that the job that you're in right now or the things that you're working on to build your foundations, so that later you can give back in meaningful ways and you'll have all the experience, that those steps aren't important. And not to be so hard on yourself as you take those steps and take those decades to build yourself. You know, I would not have been able to open Never Apart, the cultural center with its mission without 10 years of light speed under my belt. And I wouldn't be able to write Age of Union without 15 years of light speed and five years of Never Apart under my belt. But what were a lot of the ideas and the intentions of Age of Union sort of present from the very beginning? I would say yes. But I wasn't ready to really put it into a book form or open that center until I had certain experiences of being a leader or starting organizations or, you know, doing different roles within the company. So you got to trust in the journey. You got to trust in that discovery and don't be so focused on the end goal and don't be so fixed on what you think that should be. Where do you see that journey taking you in the next 10, 15 years? Every year feels like it's just lights me just getting started. So that's always exciting. I think Never Apart is ready to start having centers open around the world. And Age of Union that will evolve into a conservation project where we will start to work with conservation change makers around the world. So there's a natural evolution there. And with everything in the toolkit now, I think that that's a project that's ready for me to dive into while I can do all these other things. So there's a lot of work to do ahead, but it's all stuff that's part of the path and very exciting to me. Yeah, that's amazing. So we're here decoding the idea of a change maker. And clearly your story has brought to the forefront what a change maker can do. But for a lot of the viewers that, let's say, are within a large organization and they're trying to make change, they're trying to do something new, they're trying to bridge the digital divide, and they're just faced with resistance, what advice would you give them? Yeah, people come from very different perspectives, right? And they have different pools of information than you do. You know, you might have an amazing idea that's going to make a real impact for the company, but you may not know everything about the organization that somebody else does. And so I think bringing people into your vision, making it invitational, and then I think inviting people to be a part of developing it, sharing ownership of it is the greatest way to get things going. You know, when everybody feels like it's their project and everybody feels like it's their impact, you know, that's one way to make sure that you've got a buy-in and that everybody's excited about what's possible. You spoke to the importance of diversity of ideas, diversity of thought, but I know at Lightspeed and in the organizations you talk about, you have a unique culture around really embracing diversity and inclusion. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, the original team at Lightspeed in the early, early days were all members of the LGBTQ community, including myself. And so, 
you know, we always had this ethos that no matter who you were and no matter where you came from, that everybody should have a fair shot at light speed, that everybody's voice was valuable and that everybody should have a chance to do the best work of their life. You know, and so from that ethos, we invited so many different kinds of people into the company. It's been amazing. And, you know, we recently just did as we're, you know, now we're a public company. So we're formalizing our diversity and inclusion ethos that we feel is in the company. And we did a little bit of a survey and, you know, nine out of 10 Lightspeed employees feel that they're comfortable talking about their culture, background with their employees. 83% of employees feel like they can be their authentic selves in the workplace. So it's stats like that. And, you know, 16% of the company is LGBTQ. And there's a lot of you know, great numbers around visible minorities. We still have a lot of work to do. But I think we're proof that investing in diversity and inclusion can have great benefits to the company. As we acquire different companies, and we've just acquired our 11th, we bring a lot of diversity of thought, a diversity of backgrounds, diversity of talent, and getting the most out of that and making sure that those perspectives are heard and that everybody can contribute to something that's bigger. That, I think, is the ultimate goal. Ultimately, with more people at the table, more perspectives at the table, you come up with richer solutions for the customer. And that's, I think, you know, part of why this is so important to us. It's important to us from a people perspective, from a social justice perspective, but it's good business. It's good business to make sure that we have a diverse board, that we have a diverse workforce that, because it reflects our customers. Our customers are everybody, you know, and we believe that commerce belongs to everybody. So it's very consistent with what we want to see in the world. Are changemakers born or are they trained over time? I think that changemakers can emerge from everywhere. I think we can be 8 billion changemakers on this planet. If we were 8 billion changemakers on this planet, instead of 8 billion individuals thinking as individuals, we'd be on a different planet, right? So everybody has that potential, and it's an opportunity for awakening more and more people. And I think that when people adopt the mindset, and there's joy that's associated with the meaningfulness and the purpose that it gives you, it encourages other people to get on board. And there's a lot of people that think that the environmental problems, the social problems are too big, not to not care about. I think people care about it, but to do anything about, can I really impact it? Does it really matter what I do? And that's the biggest challenge that we have is that people feel a bit resigned. And that's very natural because of the scale of, of what we face on so many fronts. But when you look at what individuals can do, when they want to bring change to the table. It's remarkable. And so that, I think, is where I find a great amount of optimism and a great amount of hope. And how can people learn about Never Apart or Age of Union? Neverapart.com. You know, right now we're doing all virtual exhibitions, but once it's open, I invite you to the center in Montreal. Hopefully there'll be more centers around the world soon. And then Age of Union, ageofunion.com. You can download the free book or listen to the free audiobook. And so, yeah, those are free to look at and check out. So I invite everybody to do so. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Amazing, Dax. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. On the next episode of Decoding Digital. I think if you're not scared at all, either you're fooling yourself or there might be something pathologically wrong with you. Because if you're going from complete security to complete insecurity, all humans will experience moments of fear, right? Of the unknown. I think that's very natural and normal and how you push through that fear and how you make it useful to you. That's the part that I think we all are training on and trying to be better at. Board member of Procter & Gamble and founder of an AI business intelligence platform, Amy Chang. 
Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.